And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Creating a Family, talk about infertility and adoption. Today's show is going to be on ethical issues to think about with sperm donation. Uh, This is a a fascinating topic to me. For those of you who have listened, know that I am really interested in ethical issues, and uh, so I am truly looking forward to this show. Here's a sample of what you're going to hear. Uh, There is about 7,000 different uh, genetic diseases or dispositions, and it's from recessive to dominant to translocation, mosaics, uh, multifactorial mutation, new mutation, and and we all carry it. And this is the problem. Um, we all probably have um, maybe 10 or 20 um, severe uh, dispositions in our genes. And um, this is the same for for donors. And the problem is, if we uh, we could easily screen for uh, not all seven thousand, but at least uh, many hundreds. And we will. The problem is that we will uh, disqualify. We will disqualify all hundred percent of donors. Then, so that's probably not what we're going to do. So the question is, how much should we then screen or not screen? I'm Dawn Davenport, the director of Creating a Family. We are the National Infertility and Adoption Education and Support Organization, and you can find us online at creatingafamily.org. We are a weekly radio show, and we utilize the podcast model. And uh, some of the advantages of the podcast model are that we can archive all the shows, which is a huge benefit to our audience because you can go back through the years and listen to the shows that we have. Um, it also, the podcast model, allows you to uh, have notice before of each episode. You can subscribe. And you can subscribe either on iTunes or on the radio page of our website, which is creatingafamily.org slash radio show. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. If you are struggling with infertility, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. For comprehensive resources, including infertility information, treatment options, and ways to save money, you can go to their website, faringfertility.com. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors. These are organizations and businesses who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to the patient community, to the LGBT community, and to the single moms by choice community. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors include Cryos International. They are a New York sperm bank, which is part of the world's largest international network of sperm banks. Cryos New York offers donor semen and semen storage services with the ability to ship specimen to more than 65 countries, as well as, of course, to all 50 states. 
We also have Reproductive Medicine Associates of New Jersey. They are a recognized scientific and patient care leader in the field of infertility. They have seven offices in New Jersey, and they maintain an IVF delivery rate well above the national average, offering the latest and validated technical solutions to help hopeful parents. We also have other great sponsors whose generosity allows us to bring you this show. We ask that when choosing an infertility service provider, please consider using one from the Creating a Family directories, which you can find on the service provider page of our site. You can search by services provided, location, just a whole host of factors that we think are important when choosing. And by using these directories, you support those who support us, and we thank you. As I said, today's show is going to be on some of the ethical issues to think about, primarily with donor sperm, although some of these issues would be applicable to to all donor gametes, donor egg and donor sperm. But there are definitely issues that are specific only to sperm or, or more to sperm, so we really wanted to focus this show on that. Our guests today to talk about that are Ole Skoll. He is the founder and CEO of Cryos International. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, they're one of our wonderful sponsors, uh, and, and we thank them for that. Uh, they are the, one of the largest, or uh, they are the largest sperm bank in the world, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. Cryos's mission is and vision is to help childless people become parents. Uh, and uh, Ole Skoll's special interest, which is why he's on this show, is for in the area of ethics and law and the impact on the market mechanisms and the use of, of donor sperm. Welcome, Ole, to Creating a Family. Thank you very much. Uh, well, I, I need to tell you, it was uh, Ole and I met at the American Society of Reproductive Medicine Conference this past October. It was actually in uh, Honolulu. Um, and I, it, our meeting was supposed to be just me going up and saying hi and introducing myself, and that was going to be it. And we started talking about some of it, just uh, out of the blue almost, we started talking about some of the different issues associated with donor donor gametes, but in specific donor sperm. And about 15 minutes into our conversation, which was supposed to, in my mind, was going to be like a one-minute, hello, how are you type of thing, uh, about 15 minutes into it, I stopped uh, Ole and I said, you know, we really need to do a show on this. And we really need to let other people eavesdrop because I'm finding this absolutely fascinating. And, and I said, your English is good enough. Uh, Ole is from Denmark. He is from uh, Cryos International's, uh, uh, I guess, international headquarters. Uh, and uh, so he graciously agreed. Ole, thank you very much. And uh, I think that uh, let's go ahead and start with the issue that we were we were talking about consanguinity, which is the accidental partnering of half-siblings through donor conception. Um, That also happens to be uh, a question that we get quite a bit uh, from our audience. We actually received a question for this show, concerns about that, and how how concerned should I be uh, that uh, uh, my children may uh, have to be concerned about finding a partner who is not an accidental sibling? Uh, Ole, how big of an issue, uh, I, I'm not talking about how big of a concern it is, but in reality, um, is, has there been some research on consanguinity and, 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 and how big of an issue is it? Uh, and this would be an issue that would be primarily focused on donor sperm. Well, in, in general, it, it's not very important. It, it, it do have some impact, but it is 
uh, overestimated in, in the most countries. And uh, when you start to analyze it in, in depth, uh, it it's, uh, show up to be not really important uh, from a genetic point of view. It's more a psychological issue. Um, the knowledge about uh, many offspring per donor or, um, or, or for the, both for the donor side and, and also for the parents and maybe also for the children. But it could also be a good thing to know um, that there are many uh, re uh, people related to you. So therefore, it's, it's, it's not uh, totally clear. Um, but, but the uh, the concern has always been the inbreeding or the consanguinity and the risk to meet a half sibling and in the next generation and what does it mean and and and, and people have some uh, concerns it's like uh, incest or something which is uh, of course also a taboo and so on but but with, uh, what it actually is is that um, the risk of uh, transmitting a disease to a child is increased a little bit. Um, we, we are talking about the so-called Mendelian disease. Uh, uh, the recessive disease is the most common in the white population is the cystic fibrosis. 3.5% uh, of the white population is a carrier. They are healthy, but they, are, they have the disease in their genes, and that means if they uh, have children with another carrier uh, who is carrying this gene, there's a risk for the child. And so therefore, um, it, it's already a risk that exists, but it increases a little when people are too close related. That, but I have that, a question. Uh, we we hear of, of, of donors having, there was something in the news um, probably this past summer, about a man who had uh, had over 150 children. I don't really even know if it was accurate. I didn't check the, uh, you know, and so it could be a bit of media hyperbole. But nonetheless, we hear of 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 men doing repeated donate repeated donations and therefore um, having numbers of children. Doesn't that become an issue, particularly if uh, if the the people are are uh, if the donor is and and the the recipients, the recipient families, all live near each other. Wouldn't that be of a concern? It could be of concern if it's a, a identity release donor, a non-anonymous donor, what we call it. I mean, donors where um, the contact is uh, is meant to be in the future, because we are operating both with anonymous and non-anonymous donors, or uh, ID release donors, or what you call them, and. and but but for the um, again only for a psychological reason because it, it's more a question about distribution in the community rather than a total number. 150 is not a problem if it's uh, spread out in, in in sufficient numbers of uh, recipients. Uh, whereas uh, two children in a rural district could be a bigger problem because there's actually a risk that they'll meet each other. In 20 years' time from now, uh, but but if you have let's say 100 in a big city like New York, or even a thousand in a in the whole of United States, or even more in the whole world, it doesn't really uh, mean anything because the the risk that they'll meet each each other is really 
uh, low and and again if it should happen it's not a big catastrophe for, for because we have plenty of uh, close related um uh, consanguinity anyhow in the community it's actually many times higher than uh the with the no, few numbers of 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 donors we have uh, or, or offspring we have per donor so and and it's very very seldom that 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 also that there will be 150 per donor because it's the most it's very seldom that we get more than 25 children per donor so um, it's more uh, it sounds big but it is not really uh, uh, something that concerns us well you had uh, when we were talking this past october you mentioned about the the um, the fact that that it, with donor conception if if the children are told then you know you know to be on the lookout but that the number of people who's uh the man who raised them and that they believed was their father is not their biological father is much higher than than we would anticipate and you may not i'm not trying to put you on the spot because i i didn't mention this ahead of time um so you may not remember the the facts um I believe there was somebody who had done a study or, or there was some reported estimate of the number uh, of how that the the incident of of um not that that your father that the man who raised you not being your biological father is is much higher. Do you remember any of the data uh, on that? Well, I've been been discussing and searching uh, data on this for the last Thirty years. So, but but the funny thing is, in in this country, well, nobody really knows how much it is. But already two thousand five hundred years ago, the Romans make the rule, um, the pater est rules, which say the the man who is married to the woman is the father of the child, uh, because it has always been a problem, and and it would probably always be a problem. Um, so, uh, when it comes to the uh, point, do we know anything about how how much? The uh, it is the promiscuity in the in the community, and I remember a figure from United Kingdom from the mid England where uh, there was a test on the blood um, sample from a school class, and they compared to the fathers, and it turned out that a third of the children could not be related to their uh, father or the person they called father, and and in this country we had another. Um, um, experience some years ago, there was a pre- professor Margaret Mickelson from the Kennedy Institution in Copenhagen who informed that they have about 100 children uh, every year as patients where they are um, uh, with kidney diseases. So where they look at the parents if they can be possible kidney donors to the child, and in in between five to eight cases per year um, of these 100, uh, it it turned out that uh, the man cannot be uh, the genetic father because they test for blood and tissue samples. So, mm-hmm. uh, if they can, so, so therefore we 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 have an unselected group of uh, people who uh, show how much the problem is created in, in this country. It's certainly not us who deliver all that uh, sperm. So, it 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 already exists, and so therefore. Um, it's actually a bigger risk than because if if a man had spread his sperm to several women, we used to call it the postman or milkman effect. Right. Uh, yeah. And 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 um, 
if it's more organized now, there's not so many milkmen anymore. But yeah, but, I was going to say but, we can't say that here. At least in the U.S., you know, milkman, uh, postman, and even with us, sometimes postman wouldn't be a good analogy because they don't necessarily. Well, come we don't. To our house. We don't what you mean, but but if a man has been active in in a uh, spraying his uh, sperm to some women, it's normally in a, in a in a close um, proximity to where he's living. Yeah. So it's in. Yeah, so the children who will come out of that will mm. will be in much bigger risk than if you spread 100 or 200 children out in, in for instance, the whole of the United States. It's 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 many 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 times uh, bigger. And but the milkman effect is is actually there, and and it happens uh, again and again. So so in comparison to to this, we we are far from anything which con, uh, which concerns us, and and still it's it's not a catastrophe. Uh, I mean, um, from the uh, religious point of view, people have uh, always been concerned about consanguinity uh, with a good uh, reason, and and we we do have in in our legislation, for instance, you cannot be married to a closely related person. This is in order to uh, prevent consanguinity, in order to pre- prevent um, the, the, the genetic disease, the increase in the genetic disease right. in these cases. But for instance, in many, especially Muslim um, communities, it's very common to be married to cousins and, and, and close related simply in order to, to, to protect the family uh, group's uh, power or interest and so on. And 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 we see an increase in the um, numbers of uh, genetic disease in these families, but it's still not a catastrophe. So it, it's probably uh, overestimated. The, the, but the do you think that there should be a limit to the number of either the number of donations a donor can make or the number of children? Um, that have been conceived through his donation, so through his sperm. Should there be a limit? No, not no, not really, because only if if we're talking about uh, identity release donors, because it could be overwhelming to 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 have a knowledge that you had 200 children. I mean, from the donor's point of view, and, and not, even, not even the children, but also their families. So that could be a thousand of people. Uh, it could also, but but we actually don't know. The only thing is, I think the only way we can handle this for the ID released donors, the non-anonymous donors, is to be transparent about it. Because, we, for instance, we offer the donors to put a limit on numbers of um, families. We we actually call, uh, count in families because um, if if a person have a child, there's or very often a, a strong need to have an another child, sibling, from the same donor. So therefore, we, right, uh, yeah. we accept it. So we ask the donors, for instance, if you want to have a mi- maximum on, on 10 families, we respect that. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if, if there's somebody who would not have a limit on, for instance, if say, I say 100 or 200 or 500 families, we, we should just be open about that. And then the recipient can uh, choose if that's a problem for them as well and, and choose a donor where they have... Uh, if, if that's important, but if it's spread out of, out in the whole world, it's it it is um, it, uh, only it, it's not a problem for the anonymous donors, but because they, it's not the purpose that they should meet each other. So there, it's only a genetic 
uh, issue, which is, seems to be rather unimportant. So, depending or on over, which type it seems of to be is, uh, overblown in your opinion. Okay, how have a, a, a significant change in the last oh ten fifteen years has been in in the world of donor has been a, the voices of donor-conceived people. Um, they have become more active uh, and have, have coalesced into various groups and are now talking and are now wanting to be heard. We have done creating a family shows with panels of donor-conceived people. You, there's more information out there. How have these voices uh, of these people who are now adults changed the practice of of uh, donor conception, um, and and because most of the people who are now adults, uh, vast majority uh, are conceived through sperm. This could, by extension, however, be applied to uh, children who are currently being conceived uh, through both uh, through donor egg and donor sperm. But um, how has the how have their voices influenced and their experience influenced the practice of of donor sperm? Uh, conception, uh, and how should it uh, affect the practice of donor sperm conception? Well, it it, it has been uh, very important for us in in, in the uh, industry, if we can use that word, to to understand and learn uh, from the person in question what it all is about, how they are feeling, and how they experience it all. And and there's been quite a lot of um, um, paper, uh, scientific papers and, and studies on, on, on this topic uh, during the last couple of years. And it's obvious that there are two um, uh, main concerns from the children. The, the one is the uh, secrecy in, in, in life, and it has been a trauma for uh, many people to um, understand there's been a secrecy in the family, and because they have, in some extension, felt that there was something which a taboo or something which could not be talked about. For instance, if people were saying you you have your father's uh, hands or nose or eyes or whatever it is, and then somebody gets silent because nobody wants to answer that question. And the child sense that there's something which should not be talked about. Maybe they have other sickness to understand that there's something wrong here. And then finally, when they later in life um, find out, they, they have, can be very frustrated and angry that uh, such an important thing has been kept secret for them. So therefore, the, the knowledge is today, if you can tell it to your child, tell it as early as possible, typically when they are, start to ask by three, four years of age, uh, tell them, but but of course it's difficult because especially if there's a, a, a an infertile man in the couple, because you also have to protect his interest. And if you, so to speak, pull away the the, the carpet under his feet uh, in order to help the child, he might feel betrayed and and pull out from an emotional point of view. So it, it's a conflict of interest. Uh, but the recommendation from 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 us and from everybody is that if you can tell it. Uh, please tell it to a child as as, uh, as soon as better. Uh, the other issue is um, the supply uh, in in many countries. Well, many it's ten countries in the world who have abandoned anonymous donation, and in these countries they have all got a supply prob- problem because uh, only very few men want to be donor under these conditions. 
and um, and this uh, is of course in order to help the child. So therefore, in many countries, in order to to make sure that there's a supply that people don't go to the grey market or to other countries or charlatans, whatever it is, um, uh, who offer the service without. Uh, medical examination without uh, the legal uh, protection of the child's uh, the fatherhood case and so on uh, that mean um, in, in these cases it is important that uh, to understand for the recipient for the children who has been a, a, a result of an anonymous donor that they could not exist if it was not for the anonymous donor but many are very frustrated that they cannot uh, meet the, uh, the, that the community keep the identity away and, and protect or reject uh, uh, helping there. And some consider it to be a right. But the problem is that uh, we would not be able to get enough donors. So that means the problem will, uh, uh, will not, as a, people will, will go abroad or go to the gray market, and that will not help anybody who just move. To yeah. the problem to another I, issue. I, yeah, and I hear so, where you're coming from, and that we're going to talk about that in just a minute, and that is the 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 issue of uh, anonymous versus identified uh, donors, and 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 how that how that plays out in the market. Because I am interested in that. But before we leave the issue of, of the children, um, of the adults who were, they're now, they're now young adults or adults who were conceived through donor conception, do they have, I guess the, the issue for them, often not speaking for them, but, uh, but as I read as well as when I have spoken uh, both on air and off, is that, that who you are genetically is something that they believe, some of them believe, some don't feel this way at all, but some believe that is a right that they have to know, both from their medical history standpoint, but also beyond just the the simple medical history, just knowing your genetic background. How would you feel about that, the issue of of, do you think they have a right to know, And, uh, and, uh, and, and if they do, how has that, how is that being, how has that changed donor conception now? Well, it, it, it's not a right. It cannot be a right because um, in that case, uh, all the other children should also have the right, and that is not uh, possible to enforce. Um, so therefore, um, I, I fully understand their need, but it's not the same as a right. Um, so therefore... For instance, the United Nations Children Convention, Article 7, say that every child has a right to a nationality and so on, and a right to know his or her parents. But it has never been defined what parents actually mean. Uh, it could be adoptive parents, it could be social parents, it could be um, yeah, any kind of uh, some, a gay couple who have uh, had a surrogate mother with a donated egg and donated sperm. So who is actually the parents? The United Nations uh, Children Con- uh, Convention, uh, Article 7, was originally suggested by the Egyptian delegation on behalf of 11 Muslim countries, saying that every child belongs to its parent- parents. Then it was changed twice, but it was never defined. It was the genetic parents, and, and, and when we analyze this issue uh, deep, it, it, it cannot simply be the genetic parents and 
let's assume that, for instance, 5% of the children do not have the father they think they have. If you take that up in, in the next generation and the next generation and, and so on, you will have an exponential function. That means after maybe 10, 20, 10, uh, sorry, 10 to 12 generations, nobody is what they should be anymore. Or you can say we are all in family. So uh, the, 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 the family tree is, per definition, de facto, not a genetic family tree, but a social family tree. The, the genetic family tree is, is, uh, is there and, and might be more visible in the future because we'll do more genetic screening and there'll be more uh, access yeah. to that on, on the Internet. I think that but, is going to happen, but, actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, truly, but, but, but it will still not give... Uh, people, it will not be a right to uh, to know, and it will not be a right to be uh, registered like that. Because then, if, if we really saw how complicated and how mixed it was, uh, I don't think we would like to see that. <laughs> yeah, well, you may be right on that one. Um, let me stop just a moment and remind our audience that you are listening to Creating a Family, and today we're talking about ethical issues associated with or potentially associated with sperm donation. Creating a Family has the largest infertility and adoption communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us. There are three ways to connect with us on Facebook. You can like our Facebook page, which is goes under Creating a Family, um, or you can join our support group. It's a huge uh, online support group. It's a closed group on Facebook. Uh, to find the uh, group, the support group, you can type in the words Creating a Family in the Facebook search box, and both the page and the group will pop up, so you can like the page and join the group. And another way you can connect with us is to connect with me personally, and I am Dawn.Davenport1 on um, on uh, Facebook. You can also connect with us on Twitter. We have a big presence there, and we go by creating a family there. We also go by creating a family at Pinterest. Uh, we are big uh, lovers of Pinterest around here. We've got close to 30 boards. It is just a really fun place to hang out for inspiration, for humor. We post a lot of funny things. If you can't laugh, you know it's... You know you're really in trouble. So we have uh, lots of boards over there. Please check us out on Pinterest, Twitter, or Facebook. We also are, of course, on Google+, LinkedIn, and others. Let's talk, uh, Ole, back to, uh, uh, to the issue that you were starting to talk about uh, a little earlier, and that is uh, anonymous versus identified donors. That has been a shift, and I think a shift uh, in reflection, in part a reflection, of the um, of the uh, donor conceived adult community talking about this, um, I think it's also in part from uh, research that has been done on adopted kids and and their needs, uh, and I also think, quite frankly, uh, the movement is somewhat in part because, as you were just alluding uh, before the break, uh, to the fact that our our medicine is moving to a genetic based model, and 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 I think that genetic testing is going to be in our children's future, uh, the children being conceived now, I think that's going to be the norm. So I think for all of these reasons, there has been a movement towards identified, uh, or at least a movement towards offering the option of identified donors uh, in addition to anonymous donors. Um, and I believe at the Cryos, as well as some of the other larger uh, sperm banks, that your approach when you say identified, it means that the child 
has the right to have contact information or identity information at age 18. Is that how you guys at Cryos International define identified, uh, Ole? Exactly. There could be some few... um for instance, in, in the Netherlands, uh, they are required by 16, but um, otherwise, yes. Okay, so that's we're not talking about uh, the person coming, you know, coming over for Saturday night dinner. We're talking about the option, um, and usually it's at the request of the child. All right, so that's what we're talking about. What are uh, first of all from the uh, from you, what because you guys at Cryos have a, have truly an international practice. You've got offices here in New York, Denmark, but you literally ship everywhere. Um, what do you see as far as if people have the option of choosing a non? And I'm speaking when I speak of people, I'm talking about the intended parents, the the people uh, receiving the donor sperm. Um, do, what is the percentage of people requesting anonymous versus requesting identified? Say in 2013, 2014. Well, um, it has changed much over the last couple of years, um, partly in the United States, but uh, especially here in Europe. Uh, Previously, uh, we only had anonymous donors. That was um, traditional, you can say. And then in in 1985, it it started to change. Uh, Sweden switched to uh, a ban against anonymous donation. Immediately they lost their donor corpse, uh, or 85% of it, and uh, then all the Swedish took to Denmark to be treated. And and we have had um, uh, change in many countries, uh, uh, 10 different countries since then. But there's a, an, a, an understanding in many countries that there's a need to have access to both uh, um, or at least uh, certainly to have access to anonymous donors because otherwise you'll have a supply problem and then you'll have, you'll have um, other problems coming in. If, and, and in the most countries, except in Denmark or United States, um, who have full supply of donors, but all the other countries have in the world have, have a problem. Um, and and the, this is... Uh, this is... Everybody can actually see that it would be nice to have access to the identifiable donors if, or for the children to have access. But the problem is we don't have all these donors, and then we need to choose the less best, and that means we will have uh, both donors uh, in our corps, which is the case in, in the United States and in this country as well. Um, is that why the have, U.S. and Denmark have a good supply of Potential don't why? Let me ask it, ask it another way. Why are Denmark and the U.S. Why do they stand out as having a large number of of, of men willing to donate? It is because we are liberal, both countries, in our uh, legislation and allow both anonymous, especially and also non-anonymous or identifiable donor. And because we don't have all uh, too many restrictions. For instance, in France, they have to. The donor have to be proven father himself, which is of course also nice. But that means the only very we all know that all it's mainly students who become a donor, and not many students are father themselves. Therefore, they lose about 90% of the donors this way. In other countries, they have other limitation, age or increased screening or limitation of offspring per donor or no compensation or whatever it is. But all these 
things have an, uh, the same impact. It, it diminishes the supply of of uh, of the sperm, and and we don't have this in in this country. We don't have this in in the United States. Not as tough as in many other countries. And therefore, we can have full supply, and and this is good. Uh, but the other question you were talking about the 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 demand for. In, in, a, in a community where we have open supply uh, for both type of donors, the identifiable donors and anonymous donors, right. mm-hmm. it, it's, it's very uh, clear to us that we have three segmentation of, of clients. And <laughs> so we have the old-fashioned, the, the heterosexual couple, couples and, and now the, the lesbians who has been an increasing uh, group, and then the single female, and especially the single females are are booming. Um, right. and they have different uh, needs and different requirements where we uh, can see a clear pattern that the heterosexual couples, if they can choose in a country, they they choose uh, in the most case to have an anonymous donor. And, and this is in order to protect the interest of the infertile man because then it's easier for him to, to be the father uh, 100% um and and uh, there's not so much focus on the donor and as a third wheel in the project family so and so therefore uh, they uh, in most cases but not always it's very individual they choose an anonymous donor but um uh, lesbians actually they look very much like heterosexual couples they often send a photo uh, of one of the the female partners in, and we should. Uh, they ask us to match to a donor, and um, but they want to have, uh, in most cases, a non-anonymous donor, or identifiable donor, in order to have a, a track to the child when it appears that there's no man going around here. So, uh, and the same is uh, the case for the single females, because, um, and it's 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 very interesting because we can see it's it's older women, older than 30 years. Uh, having focused on their career, and a little late in, in in life, they start to think about reproduction. But they also may be a, a little picky now and uh, don't take the first and best man, and, and the biological clock is ticking. So they want a donor, and in many cases they want an um, identifiable donor in order to, for the same reason as the lesbian, in order to have a track to the child when they start to ask where who's where's the my father um, yeah. and but not always yeah. it's, it we have also seen for instance uh, examples where um uh, sexual females think like uh, heterosexual couples where uh, they choose an anonymous donor in order to make space for the coming man because they they are heterosexual they want to find the man but they're still not found it or they've been unlikely until, uh, until now but they have to do something now so therefore they they think like the heterosexual couples and choose like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but again, it's very individual. We see the exact same thing in in our audience. And the the uh, of the of the three segments, a heterosexual couple with male factor infertility, um, uh, a, a same sex couple, a lesbian couple, or a single mom by choice. Uh, we see a significant increase in single moms by choice. That has just been a real. Uh, we have a, a booming. Uh, that's the, the of our uh, population or lesbian moms who are singles as well. But uh, either way, um, 
And and I I do agree that we also see exact uh, the, the split that you were speaking of that it does appear that the single moms by choice and the lesbian couples um, are more actively seeking identified donor, um, and that the heterosexual couples. But at this point, it's interesting. Our, our the heterosexual heterosexual couples are, are are more likely to go to anonymous. Although it's, it's and also and, and also uh, uh, less information by uh, heterosexual couples, whereas um, especially singles want to have as more information as better. So therefore, we have developed a type of donor which we call extended profiles, where you can get a uh, ten-page long information about the donor and the childhood and the school and education and interest and 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 and, and uh, photos. That's, that's fascinating. You're saying that the heterosexual couples with male factor infertility are not only asking for uh, an, an anonymous donor, but they're also seeking a donor where there is less information in general, less uh, history, less screening, less you know where there's not a written sample. Not screening, not uh, not screening, but 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 simply more information and and simply in order not to pollute the. the the social father's mind about this uh, uh, third person because it's 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 a trauma to be infertile as a man and it's very very ugly to to have another man's sperm to fertilize one's woman but but that's the less worst uh, alternative you have so therefore as less you know as better but but it's not related to to screening this is another issue how much do you want to screen um, yeah that is another issue uh, that uh, well, let me just let's close this one out though, and then yeah, we'll move on to that because that is a fascinating issue. We've been doing a number of shows talking about screening and genetics 101 for donor conception. We had a show this summer on that, and it was well received, and it was it was a, it was pretty fascinating. But as far as the uh, just to close out our discussion on anonymous versus identified, one last question I had on that is. What have you seen? You, you mentioned that when countries ban anonymous donation, because that's that is kicked around at times. We hear, uh, in particular, that the uh, the more active uh, donor-conceived adults will often talk about uh, the need that one of the things that they think should happen is that anonymous donation should be banned. Um, and you're saying that you have seen. Is it the world over that you've seen a significant? You said there were ten countries that have banned it. Is it across the board that that the donor supply has has gone significantly down, or is that more country specific? Well, I, I'm I'm not sure I'm, uh, I understand what you mean. I mean, in these countries, for instance, in Sweden, in Finland, in the Netherlands, in UK, in Austria, in Switzerland, Australia, uh, these ten countries, they have all had a dramatic uh, decline in the supply of donors, and that means they, they have to go abroad to to um, ask for supply. Uh, and that means it, it is difficult for us to produce enough because we we, we have difficulties to, to meet the demand. And this simply uh, means that the price goes up on the non-anonymous donors because uh, well, there's, a, there's a competition about them internationally. And um, they are so difficult to to find. Um, so therefore, uh, it is it is uh, they are creating what we call 
all the ten countries have created grey market and fertility tourism or cross-border reproductive care, what it is. And, and grey market is when people are forced to go to the milkman or postman where you have no uh, testing and screening and no legal protection of the donor's right or the child's right. So the fatherhood case, uh, the legal fatherhood parental uh, issue can be a problem and also uh, socially because the female have to be together with the, the private donors, what you call them. Um, the, the, the fertility tourism is, we see a lot of that in Europe because um, there's, there's such a lot of regulation from a good heart, but the, the, the consequences is the impact is that people must travel abroad to, to have their uh, needs um, satisfied. And, and, and for instance, we, we have 250 pregnancies on Swedish patients every year, and, and in Sweden they only have about uh, 50 to 100. So we have more pregnancies on Swedish patients coming to Denmark to be treated. So this is... Um, well, it's the same kind of problem like abortion, for instance, which is also a, a, a dilemma. So there are pros and cons, but if you don't have it in a, in a community, you might have it anyhow. And um, so, so it is a, a, an impossible uh, issue. But but the case is, if you don't have a sufficient supply of anonymous donor in a community. You would have it anyhow, uh, but under the surface. Yeah, and you, you force people. I thought I had read uh, somewhere, and but this is I'm not remembering it clearly. But that in uh, in the UK there was after they banned anonymous donations, they had a decrease in donors, but that it has since picked up. Is that not the case? Well, it's it's small uh, waves on the surface because I I can remember. Further back, uh, it was already in 1991 when the Warnock report uh, came in and they introduced something called non-anonymous registration. And that was where all the donors uh, were, uh, went screaming away because nobody wanted to be registered by the sources. So uh, they've already shot themselves in the foot when they introduced the anonymous uh, the the ban in in 2005, um, so it it was actually ten almost ten times times higher in in the beginning of the 90s. So now it's 10 percent okay. left. Yeah. Whether it goes a little up or down, it's it's not really uh, making um, an imp- yeah. a, a difference. So so it's still it's still but it went down again uh, uh, lately. Okay. You are listening to Creating a Family. We're glad that you're listening to us today. We're talking about the ethical issues associated with sperm donation. I'd like to take a brief moment to thank a few more of our gold sponsors and to remind you that it is through their generous support that we can bring you this show, as well as all the resources at Creating a Family. We have Fairfax Cryobank. Fairfax Cryobank has been a leader in sperm donation for over 20 years and is dedicated to supplying updated, verified, and accurate medical and personal information on their donors. We also have Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They were one of the first to offer embryo donation uh, services uh, throughout the uh, throughout the country, and it's or actually throughout the world, uh, and it's known as their Snowflake Embryo Adoption Program. And we also have the law offices of James Fletcher Thompson. They are a South Carolina firm committed to assisted reproductive law as well as adoption law. Um, Ule, we were going to be talking about screening. Um, One of the issues is how much screening 
should be uh, available or uh, should automatically be done on uh, on potential donors. So, what is your what is your thought on on screening? Well, we have two um, uh, types of screening: the screening for transmissible diseases, um, HIV, syphilis, uh, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and and so on. Um, and this is not so ethically complicated. And and we cannot screen for everything, um, but we can take the worst uh, lethal diseases. Uh, and the sexually transmitted diseases. The more co- more complicated issue is the genetic uh, screening issue, and and um, it's a totally different type of of problem that we see here because uh, there is about seven thousand different uh, genetic diseases or dispositions, and it's from recessive to dominant to translocation mosaics uh, multifactorial mutation new mutation and and we all carrier and this is the problem um we all probably have um maybe 10 or 20 um severe uh, dispositions in our genes and um this is the same for for donors and the problem is if we uh, we could easily screen for uh, not all 7,000, but at least uh, many hundreds. And we will. The problem is that we will uh, disqualify. We will disqualify all 100% of donors. Then, so that's probably not what we're going to do. So the question is, how much should we then screen or not screen? And, yeah, and, uh, I think that is that. That's uh, so. How much should we screen? And of course, the the really interesting thing, and this came up on the show we did this summer of Genetics 101, is that when we are dating someone and are becoming engaged or married to someone, we do very little screening. I mean, we do know family history. We do talk about that because we, you know, you know oh, you know, great uncle so and so, you know. Uh, was an alcoholic, or so and so had bipolar, or whatever. So I mean, there's some of the uh, some of the things you do know, but but a lot you don't. So it's a it's an interesting thing about how far to how far to screen and and, and versus what you and how much how much information is helpful and how much information becomes overload. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it, we don't have the, the, the final solution to how uh, we should do, but the only thing we can see that is that we we cannot uh, screen very much um, because that, then it will it will be a blind end because there is no there will be nobody left there and and also if you it's not just the donor because if we also tested the recipient that would be the same uh, problem so we uh, it's also a question about what type of of um, uh, dispositions we want to know, because if you can, for instance, do something uh, in order to reduce the risk, for instance, if you uh, find out that the donor is a carrier of cystic fibrosis or another um, uh, recessive disease, thalassemia or sickle cell or whatever it is, uh, you can actually avoid this disease because it will only be um some of your um uh, of the the uh, what's called the, the embryos which will be affected by this disease and it is possible to 
screen the, the, the embryo then to see if the embryo is a carrier of a certain disease. And then you can choose, but then you move into some other uh, ethical issues. And it's, it's definitely not very normal. And I think it's very important to compare to the background population how much screening are we actually doing when we reproduce ourselves. So here it's, it's very, very important that we will not move into something which uh, is not enforceable. In, in, and that means we, we, we must look for um, a way to to avoid too much screening, and and this is this is actually difficult uh, because we are all carrier of 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 plenty of nasty disease in our genes, and and we don't really want to know about it because uh, the, in in most cases there's no there's no treatment, there's nothing we can do, and that means uh, we don't want if there's no treatment, we don't want to really the effect or, or pollute our consciousness about uh, mm -hmm. what we have in our, our genes, neither the recipient, but also for the donors. We also have to protect the donor's interest. So if we are testing the donor, we need to be transparent about what we are finding, and that means we could ruin the donor's life. Um, so, so this is really, really difficult. So therefore, we are looking for a uh, recommendation in the community from the genetic organization and so on how much we should screen or not screen and and um, uh, and that's what we are doing and that means we will take the worst peaks of of the, um, the the recessive disease by any uh, donors wherever it is from the world it's different from where you are in if if you're from Africa. Um, right. And there's single cell there is more common in this country. It's it's, it's uh, almost unknown and so on. So, uh, and, but then we, there's a new uh, phenomenon coming up: the the whole uh, genome or the next generation uh, genome sequencing, where you can actually um, there's some sp uh, sperm bank who have already done that. But I'm I'm a little concerned and, and conservative here because they have tested their donors. Uh, for four or five hundred different um, recessive diseases, and then now they're selling tests to the recipients, uh, so they can make a virtual child in their computer to see if the child is suffering from, let's say, ten of these diseases or seventeen of these diseases, and then you can choose which child is most less uh, full of disease. I mean. It, it, the the risks really... are less. Yeah, where, where the child, they, you could choose between comparing your uh, both parents, the donor as well as the uh, the mother's genetics, to see which child. Yeah, does this play yeah, so into see, the if whole? Yeah, you would have a child with with twelve of these diseases or seventeen of these diseases. I mean, it's it's it, it's it's very unnatural. How does this play into the whole idea of it? And we certainly hear, really not so much from our community because I don't think our uh, our community has is, shares this as much. Although that's probably not true, I think. But you certainly hear it from the the media. The concern about designer babies. How does that uh, it, it, that comes up to mind when you talk about being able to? And I'm not sure we're quite there where you can really 100% select. But how do you answer that criticism when people are? Uh, are uh, pay, trying to get as much information as they can before they select a donor. Are we creating designer babies? Oh yes, you can say so. But but isn't every child a designer baby then from father and mother? 
I, I think this, this is not, uh, we, we can hardly change anything, but we can do it, uh, a selection of the donor the same way as we select a, a spouse in the real life. And and I think it's actually more complicated with the old-fashioned way where the, it was very much in the, cl- the clinical world where the doctor did the choice of the donor and disseminated. I compare that more today to uh, medical rape, uh, where uh, the, the new way where uh, people can choose the donor is more uh, compared to natural selection where, I mean, a female will not take the first and best man around the corner with blind for her eyes. She has a selection mechanism and and she she feel and she smell the, the pheromone that is uh, documented that some are attracted by some smell and some uh, is written, uh, find them disgusting and so on. So it's probably a genetic selection, especially the female. I think the fem- men are more offering their service in, in general, uh, like the animals, and females are more the gatekeepers. And they're probably doing a genetic selection the way they choose. And this is good for the child. Um, uh, and, and this is just normal. And this is how it was supposed to be from the in the Darwinist uh, way of thinking. So all natural individual uh, selection is healthy, whereas if it's uh, from the state, it has always been... Uh, uh, catastrophes. So I think the the even it, it sounds um, uh, artificial, the designer baby. I think it's it's the normal way of, of uh, and therefore it's good. It's normal. It's healthy. Let me remind our audience that you are listening to Creating a Family. Uh, today we are talking about ethical issues with sperm donation with Ule Skoll with Cryos International. Uh, also, we primarily keep in touch with our audience through our twice-weekly e-newsletter. We let you know about the we, – we add uh, five pieces of new content to our site every week. We tell you about that in our newsletters, or those, uh, what we're adding. We also tell you about the upcoming week's blog and show topic, and you can sim- submit questions in advance for the for the show. Uh, Ule, what do you see as a um, home insemination is an interesting thing for some people. It is actively they would actively seek that. Uh, others don't want that at all. Do what is your opinion on home insemination, and and whether it should be allowed? And do you see a difference across the world? In, in people wanting the option of home insemination. Uh, yes, that's that's an interesting phenomenon which has come up during the last couple of years, um, especially as a result of uh, uh, legislation in, or restriction in, in many countries. Um, it's also it can also be because of privacy reason that people prefer to do home insemination instead of. Uh, open their privacy life to um, a medical person or a clinic. So therefore, uh, if if they are healthy and and fertile, there's no problem in doing home insemination. The, the quality of the product, the sperm, it tested exactly the same way, uh, way whether you do home insemination or whether it's a clinic who perform the treatment. So there's no uh, risk for that, and you cannot uh, harm yourself. I mean, it's it's done in every not every, but many uh, private homes every day. So uh, there's mm-hmm. nothing uh, really complicated by that. The complication is that too many countries make legislation. For instance, in Germany, um, same-sex couples and, and, and singles are not allowed to have medical treatment. So that opened up a market for 
home insemination, um, and and still uh, the same in some countries. For instance, in UK, where they've uh, abandoned anonymous donations, so there's a market for that in UK, and we have the EU EU um, uh, uh, market which uh, protects the goods free movement. So therefore, we can actually ship anonymous sperm to UK, uh, but for home insemination only. And in the opposite, in some way, in countries where it's illegal to have open ID donation, for instance, in France, we can send sperm for home insemination there. So there suddenly open up a market for um, for home insemination where people can cannot have access for treatment. And then, of course, there's, there's those who want privacy. This is, for instance, could be uh, heterosexual. It could be all type of of patients. So. It's an interesting thing, yeah, and 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 we see a difference that some people are actively seeking it because it it un, it, it takes the medical the medicalization out of the whole process of conception, but for others they feel very strongly that that you know there's kind of almost a an ick factor for them. So either way, I think we have time to talk about one other quick issue. We're at the very end, and I almost shouldn't bring it up because it's such a big one, but it is an interesting one to me uh, and one I think about, and that is the ethical issues associated with combined egg and and donor egg and donor sperm IVF cycles. Um, Internationally, how many countries allow this, and and what do you see the the issues uh, for this, for a, a double donor cycle? I, I don't know uh, which countries allow it or don't allow it, but uh, personally, I don't see any problem with that. The most important thing for a child is to be loved and taken care of. So whether it's a, a double donor situation, I, I don't see the problem. Okay. Well, on that, I'm glad it wasn't a long, because we were out of time, so I'm glad that I didn't ask you a, a question that would be uh, take a lot of time. Uh, I could we talk have... like longer if I but, but this, <laughs> I this, know, yeah. We both could actually. That was the, that's what that's what we found out at ASRM when we started talking. We both could talk on this topic for a lot. Um, we have come to the end. I want to remind our audience that creating a family's mission is to provide unbiased and medically accurate education and support for those touched by infertility or adoption. We do have a, a lot of resources on sperm donation on our website, creatingafamily.org. You can uh, uh, click on infertility, then click on A to Z resources and go to sperm donation to find all of our resources, and I recommend that you do that. If you have enjoyed this show and you want to help us grow, please rate our podcast on iTunes. We have been listed on iTunes as in their on their homepage as what's hot for families and children. We would like to continue our um, our still being number one on, on iTunes and and nationally. And to do that, uh, we need your ratings. So if you would do that, we would very much appreciate it. You can type in the words "creating a family" in iTunes if you have it on your phone or your computer. Or you can go to creatingafamily.org slash radio show, and uh, we have the ability where you could click on iTunes there and uh, rank it uh, and, and give us a ranking and even a comment if you feel so inclined. We would appreciate it. Thank you so much, uh, Ule Skoll with Cryos International, for being our guest today on Creating a Family. If you want to participate in a discussion uh, on the topics of this show, you can go to our blog tomorrow because I will be, uh, not tomorrow, I shouldn't say that, uh, 
it will be, yeah, it probably will actually be tomorrow that I'll be blogging on this topic. So you can go there and, and uh, find out uh, and, and join us. To get more, for more information on cryos uh, in general uh, or on Ule School, uh, go to their website, which is cryosinternational.com. That's C-R-Y-O-S international.com. Thanks for joining us today, and I will see you next week. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at you, savings coming at you. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.